the reasons that I started observing the Advent season is because in my early days as a pastor, Christmas used to sneak up on me, and, and I began to realize that there's much more that the Bible says about the birth of Jesus than just the birth of Jesus. And it's important for our hearts to celebrate not only this first Advent, but also to anticipate the second Advent. But there's, there's a big trunkful of, of biblical implications or truths that accompany the birth of Jesus. It's not just about the birth of Jesus. There's a whole trunkful of stuff that accompanies that. And one of those truths is, <coughs> excuse me, that if we celebrate this first Advent, Advent, if we celebrate this first Advent, then we implicitly acknowledge that there will be a second Advent. If you're going to celebrate Christmas, if you're going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ came once as a child, you implicitly acknowledge that if there was a first Advent, there will also be a second Advent. But the reality is, if you believe that, you need to live that. Now, most of us believe that, but we don't live it. We know the characters of the Christmas story, most of them anyway, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, the shepherds, the angels, the magi, and yes, there was Simeon and Anna, and yes, there was uh, Zachariah and, and Elizabeth and all the rest of those people. But sometimes we ignore Mary. Yeah, she's, she's there kind of, and, and, and she gave birth to this baby, but we ignore some of what Mary said and what Mary did because of the veneration and adulation that she has received from the Roman Catholic Church. And our tendency then is to go to the opposite extreme and largely ignore her. But the reality is that we can learn much from her, learn much from Mary, and learn much from her and her faith. And she said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we don't do that a whole lot in the Baptist Church because we're afraid of venerating her. But I think if we take a look at Mary's song here today, we'll realize that Mary gives us a fresh look at our world, gives us a fresh look at what's going on around us and what has gone on around us in the past number of years. You see, Mary's song turns the world upside down. Uh, she, she sees things that, that you and I probably don't even realize or, or don't, haven't paid a whole lot of attention to. Now, you and I know the story. Dave read it for us a little bit earlier. There was a virgin who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And we're thinking, okay, so this is a relatively simple girl from a relatively <coughs> excuse me, simple town, and, and we don't expect a whole lot of depth from someone like that. You know, after all, uh, Nathaniel, when, when he heard that Jesus came from Nazareth, uh, he said, you know, Nazareth, he said, can anything good come from there? And Mary came from Nazareth, and we kind of look at that, and we say, well, you know, so she was just a simple girl. It's like somebody from Nippon. When you go to explain, you go to a city or someplace, and you try and explain the town of Nippon, and you say, well, we have one traffic light. You know, like, 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 hello. Like, like, you know, we're, we're, what are we, you know? And then I remember years ago we went to Winnipeg for, for uh, some kind of function and our, our girls went along and, and they got the Winnipeg kids, teased the kids from Nipawin and, and I think we had your daughter along as well that time. 
Walter and Gloria. And, and, and the Winnipeg kids teased the Nipawin kids because they were from nowhere. You know, I mean, you should, you know. But Mary probably didn't have a whole lot in the way of formal education. And yet, when you read this song of Mary, you discover that Mary was a whole lot more spiritually aware than what you and I might give her credit for. There was this angelic announcement, something that had never happened before or since. A virgin would conceive and bear a child. You know the story. Joseph didn't want to expose her to public disgrace and intended to divorce her quietly. And probably no one knew in Nazareth at first that she was pregnant. And then she went on this little journey and came back. She, three months later, she came back. And probably the tongues started to wag and the lips started to move. And there was probably a stigma attached to Jesus for most of his adult life. If I go back to my hometown, there is still a stigma attached to me. I, I made a reputation for myself in my teenage years in my hometown in the 10 years that I lived there. And, and that reputation is still there. That probably happened to Jesus as well. But then there's this visit to Elizabeth. And there's a, this, this other whole story about this older couple who couldn't have children. And he was a priest in the temple. And, uh, and the birth of John the Baptist was foretold. And we're not going to go there today. But we want to look at Mary's song. It is called the Magnificat because in Latin it begins with the words Magnificat anima me dominum. It means my heart magnifies the Lord. And here you have the words of a simple girl from a simple town speaking profound and deep spiritual truth. And she is speaking for God as she anticipates the birth of that child who was lodging and growing in her womb at the time. And as she looks back, she also looks forward and she sees a world turned upside down. And in Amos chapter 5 and verse 24, we read this, these words, <coughs> excuse me, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And I think Mary thinks back to the words of those prophets as she sees a world that is radically different from the world in which she lives. And as you and I go about our various holiday routines, and amidst all this Christmas preparation, we encounter this poetic bomb, this bomb from Mary, from the mother of the expected Messiah. She says... She says that Christmas makes a massive U-turn and about face. See, she interferes with the routines and, and all our preconceptions of Christmas. To you and I, Christmas means busyness. It means travel. And if you're flying somewhere, you might miss a flight because you've been overbooked. Or, or you discover that that cup of eggnog that you so cherish is nothing but a cup full of cholesterol. And you discover that as you're getting ready for Christmas, that assembling toys is something for which you need an, either an engineering degree or a machine shop in your basement or something like that. And I remember the story of a man who brought, bought this toy for his granddaughter, and, and the toy came in a large box, and on the box it said there were 189 pieces, and, and the toy could be easily assembled in one hour. 
Yeah, right. You've been there, done some of that. You know, those, those wire ties that they tie things to the cardboard with, you know those things? Putting this toy together, Kathy and I spent hours putting toys together and pasting stickers on and stuff like that. Anyway, this toy came in 189 different pieces. So he thought he would get even, so he took his check and he tore it into 189 pieces. And he says, since you like putting things together so much, try this. They did. But you know, that, that's, that's our Christmas. It's busyness, it's, it's, it's food, it's all the rest of this stuff. And yet Mary looks at it a whole lot differently. Mary says things like this. Look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm and has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. It's not very Christmassy, is it? There's not a whole lot here about peace on earth. Not much holiday cheer, and Mary fails as a poetic writer for Hallmark cards at Christmas time. Mary is talking here about things like deception and lies and fraud, and she sees one who's coming to tell the truth, who tears the veil from those who would deceive us for their own benefit. She pulls the hiding or pulls out of hiding those who scapegoat others, those who use every rationale to justify and hide their own deceptive ends. She's talking about deception in high places, the twisting of truth, the corruption of law, the poisoning of institutions. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thought. What would a little girl, a young woman, from a no-name town in Israel know about that? And God has given her tremendous insight. It's a different Christmas from the sappy peace on earth that we have sometimes and the artificial feelings of God's of goodwill. She says in verse 52, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. <coughs> and when you think back of the history of her own people, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. There were the Assyrians. They were a world empire in the days when Israel started falling apart. After the Assyrians came the Babylonians. After the Babylonians came the Medes and the Persians, also a world empire, and they fell apart. After the Medo-Persian empire came the Greeks, Alexander the Great, and it fell apart. After the Greeks and Alexander the Great came the Roman Empire, which was in power when Mary was, was living. And it fell apart, the time of the Caesars. After that, you have different empires. The, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the Venetian Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the reigns of Spain and Holland and Britain. And then in our own last century, there was a thousand-year Reich. There was a Soviet empire that fell apart. And there are other world powers like the U.S. Yesterday, the Americans pulled the last of their soldiers out of Iraq. But when you're a world empire, you need to recognize that your time is limited, that God has the power to bring down rulers from their thrones and to lift up the humble. 
empire builders need to be careful in their claims, in their self-perception, their presumption of innocence in the use of their muscle. When we read on, verse 53, we read that God has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And she's talking about things that, that you and I today call the economic redistribution of wealth. What would a girl in Nazareth know about that kind of thing? But she saw it happen, and it will happen again. You know, you think a little bit about the wealthy, we think about others. But here are some facts, and these facts date back a few years. <coughs> Excuse me, they're from the Stats Canada uh, website. But the average amount that each Canadian consumer spent in December of 2004 was $804, and this was almost 250 more than they spent on average during any other given month of the year. And Albertans were the biggest spenders, spending 967 during that month. Uh, three times was the amount by which toy, hobby, and game store sales grew in December compared with an average month. Other stores who enjoyed triple sales growth during December were jewelry, luggage, and leather goods stores and music stores. <clears throat> One-fifth of the proportion of annual revenue don or generated by toy and hobby stores happens during December. Uh, also, retailers who specialize in the sound, sale of sound and video recorders, such as DVDs and CDs, take one-fifth of their annual revenue in in the month of December. $34.5 billion, I can't even get my head around that figure, but $34.5 billion is the amount of money that Canadian shoppers spent in December of 2004, up 6.9% from the previous December, $34.5 billion. Wow. $3.2 billion was the amount of money Canadians spent in department stores in December. And then beer, wine, and liquor stores reported the second highest total sales during that period, followed by appliance, television, and other electronic stores, family clothing stores, and sporting goods stores. A toy, hobby, and game stores ranked ninth in total sales with $296 million. You look at what Mary says. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Maybe you and I need to reevaluate our Christmas sometime. You see, God has some radical plans. God has some radical plans. Christmas will not stay the same. Someday, Christmas is going to change. God has some radical plans. If Jesus came once, he will surely come again. But this time as a conquering king instead of a helpless babe. Now, think about this. If an ordinary young woman from a no-name town in Israel can understand all this, then so can you and I understand this in Nippon, Right? Because your mind is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you want to improve it, you need to use it. Solomon said that much study wearies the body, and yet I wonder how many of us are weary because of studying. I'm weary because I haven't slept much for the last four weeks. I'm, I'm exhausted. In the last four weeks, I spent... I think two and a half nights in my bed. The rest of the time I sat up in a chair, hacking and coughing and wheezing, including last night. 
Some of us are probably weary because all the things we've enjoyed and endured in the last three weeks. And I'm glad that we're in the last week before Christmas because it means my life is going to slow down for at least a little bit. And maybe just thinking of Christmas makes you tired already. So what do we take away from this? What do we need to think about? What do we need to study? If Mary can understand all this, then so can you and I. But take a look at verse or Luke chapter 2 and verse 19, and Lindsay's going to shoot that up on the screen here. But there's a little nugget of truth here. And this is after the birth of Jesus Christ. It's in the Luke chapter 2 story that you know so well. And the Bible tells us that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I'm wondering if it's time for you and me this Christmas to practice pondering. When's the last time you pondered? Isn't that a nice word? Do you even understand what it means? But when's the last time you pondered? When's the last time you sat down and you actually thought through stuff? You, you shut off the TV and, and the stereo and everything else and you pondered. She didn't have much choice. She didn't have the internet and, and, and TV and radio and, and all the rest of that stuff. But maybe it's time this Christmas season that you and I treasure up some of these things and we take some time to ponder. Maybe it's time to take a hard look at the past and to take a look into the future rather than just trying to get through the busyness of today. You see, Satan keeps you and me overwhelmed with life so that we don't have time to think. But I think it's time for you and me to ponder the majesty, the wisdom and the power and the plans of God. It's time to ponder the past and it's time to pray for the future because if Jesus came once, he will surely come again and Christmas will radically change. Are you ready for that? Father, we're so glad that there's more than what we see. There's more to Christmas than just the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, teach us to ponder. Help us to realize some of these wonderful, marvelous, magnificent things Mary said about the past and also about the future. And Lord, help us to ponder the reality that Christmas will change and how we look forward to that time. Father, grant us your blessing this, this week as we head into this mad rush of Christmas. But may your peace rule in our hearts, in our homes, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.